I'm going to begin this morning with briefly explaining the five leadership gifts that we heard about in Ephesians chapter 4. And those five leadership gifts are the apostolic gifts, the prophetic, gifts of evangelism, gifts of teaching, and the shepherd-pastor gift. These are going to be very cursory definitions. We're going to, you know, the next four or five weeks, we're going to spend time going deep into the different nuances of these roles and and what they might mean for the 21st century church. But I think it's important to at least give you a snapshot, a glimpse of my understanding of what these terms mean for a couple reasons. The first reason is you may have no idea what I'm talking about when I mention the apostolic gift or the prophetic voice or the shepherd pastoral role. You just, you don't know what I'm talking about. So it's probably helpful before we continue that you at least understand what I understand those terms to mean. The second reason why this is probably important is some of you may have very thorough, comprehensive understandings of what apostle means and prophet means and shepherd pastor means. And it's probably a good idea for you to understand what I mean when I use those terms, because it might be different. So I'm not inviting you to agree with my definitions, but it's just helpful for you to have an understanding what, what I have in mind when I use those terms. So the, the apostolic gift, the apostles are innovative entrepreneurs in the spiritual world. They initiate and pioneer new works to spread the message and the movement of Christ in new ways, moving into new uncharted territory. So the apostle, if you had to sum it up in two words, it's new and now. What is the new thing God is doing? And the apostle is all about that, all in, and inviting people to, hey, the Spirit of God is doing something new. Let's go. Let's go. Let's not miss it. The apostle is about now. How do we live in the presence of God right now? So that's the apostle. The prophet. The prophetic role is a communication role that reveals the truth and the call of God into particular situations. Now, the prophetic gifting and function often, not exclusively, but often speaks into situations of neglect. So the prophetic role will call the truth and the convicting call of God into a situation where we might be neglecting the teachings of Jesus in the Bible. Or we might be neglecting the power of the Holy Spirit in our ministry or in our community life together. Or we might be neglecting the poor. Or we are neglecting injustice or oppression or abuse. So that's the prophetic role. Third one is the uh, evangelist. Now evangelists, they are the enthusiasts. They are recruiters. They are storytellers. They are often, you know, the hub of social networks. They're often extroverts. They're often a pleasure to be around. 
in small doses for us introverts. <laughs> they're, they're storytellers, but their stories are, are invitational. They often tell, I mean, the, the story that they're telling is the good news story. They're bringing the good news story to those outside the church. But they often share the story, the good news story of Christ through their own story. But a true evangelist is not kind of drawing attention to him or herself by sharing their story. It's actually an invitational story. Come and be a part of this bigger story that I'm a part of. Come and be a part of the movement of Christ. You're invited in to the community of faith that I'm a part of that is pursuing the presence of God first and foremost. So the, the evangelist also has a often, not exclusive, but often focus. And the focus is often inviting people who are struggling, people who are suffering, and people who are seeking into the movement, into the story. So that's the evangelist. The fourth one is the shepherd pastor. The shepherd pastor is about nurturing and sustaining the souls, the hearts, the holistic well-being of the flock. Shepherds will often resonate with shepherd metaphors and language. They're shepherds. Why wouldn't they? So it's about caring. It's about caring. It gives them caring and compassion. And again, the shepherd pastor has an often focus as well. Not exclusive, but they often focus on the hurting, the broken, and those who are in need. And finally, we have the, the teachers. The teachers help explain and deepen people's understanding of God and their faith. And teachers often focus on going deeper into Scripture and the particular core values and beliefs of their tradition. And in fact, usually going deeper into the Scripture for a teacher is going deeper into the Scriptures with the lens of their particular tradition or denomination. That's why we have profound teachers who say opposite things. <laughs> because we all have a lens, and that lens is usually um, from our tradition. So, those are the five gifts and leadership functions in a nutshell. Like I said, we're going to dive into those deeper, but before we get into the, the nuances of, of those five leadership gifts and functions and how they are necessary for the 21st century church, notice what Paul says in Ephesians 4. I mean, this is pretty important work that these five leadership roles actually fulfill, right? Like, what does it say they do? Build up the church in, in multiple ways. The first, first way, they'll, well, I'll just rhyme, because people always remember rhymes, right? So they build up the church in unity, in maturity, and then I've added this one, this is my interpretation, numerically. Spread the movement. Go out and make disciples. Hello. Right? But what else does Paul say that these five leaders... We need all five leadership gifts to equip the saints, to equip everyone who is part of the church into their unique giftedness. 
so that they can do the ministry that only they can do, or they can contribute to the greater ministry of the church in ways that only they can contribute. Now, most churches have a lot of people, or at least some people, who have not discovered their gifts or are not using their gifts to contribute to the greater ministry of that church. And one of the reasons is because the fivefold ministry is, is not in effect. We can't equip all the saints, all the people who participate in a local body of Christ unless we have all five gifts functioning. So they're very important. That's why Paul says, pursue the most important gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, apostle, prophet, and teacher. In Ephesians, adds shepherd, pastor, and adds uh, the gift of evangelism. So the first challenge that I want to talk about, because it's going to be challenging to to embrace and embody this five-fold ministry. The first challenge is this, is it's difficult to embrace the five-fold ministry and walk in unity. Which is interesting because the whole point, Paul says, of the five-fold ministry is so that we can walk in unity. The reality is that only works if we are mutually submissive and yielding to the same spirit, the spirit of Christ. Now, if we, if we activate the five-fold ministry, we have all five leadership gifts functioning, and yet we are not walking in mutual submission to the spirit of Christ, then the five-fold ministry actually becomes divisive. It divides us more than unites us. Now, why? Well, each of these five leadership gifts pulls in a different direction, sometimes the opposite direction. I'll give you one example. The, the shepherd-pastor gift will pull us in the direction of safety and protection of the flock. Let's be mindful of our vulnerable and weak. We, we must protect the flock. The apostolic approach is let's find the most dangerous territory and move in there because they are consumed with expansion and progress. So you can imagine how there would be conflict between these two different approaches to ministry. In a healthy church that is walking in mutual submission and yieldedness to the Spirit of Christ, this isn't a problem. Because the church needs both, right? Unless Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. The church needs both. But the only way this works is if we mutually submit to the same spirit. Now, what most churches, I always say most churches as if I know. But anyways, I, every time I say most churches, it's usually quite speculative, not statistically based. <laughs> Just so you know, full disclosure. Most churches, in my experience are operating with one or two of the leadership gifts in a dominant role. And the the reason for that is simple, because most churches aren't walking in mutual submission to the Spirit of Christ. It's it's difficult to have an entire group of people, let alone just the, the leadership, to be walking in mutual submission to the Spirit of Christ, and then, through Christ, through the same vine, we're mutually submissive to one another. It's a beautiful thing, but it is rare, right? 
So what happens when we are not walking in full attunement, full connection to the vine, full Christ consciousness or practicing the presence in a profound way, what happens? Conflict. That's what happens. And there's only two ways to deal with that conflict. One is, okay, we're going to spend a significant amount of time making sure that we are mutually submitting to the same spirit. What happens more often than not is we go with one of the leadership gifts and allow them to pull us in one direction. Because it ends the conflict, right? Okay, for right, and sometimes we'll use the language, okay, for this season, we're, we're going to go with this, right? Because it's just, okay, we can't be, you know, being pulled in all these directions. Let's just go with this one for a while. And you have an imbalanced, dysfunctional church that is not only stagnant, but it is going to die, whether it's a slow death or a quick death. I don't know, there's a lot of complicating factors that would determine how slow or fast that happens. So I said most churches are in this situation. The reality is the Western church in general is in this situation. The Western church has had the shepherd pastor and the teaching pastor in the dominant roles for several hundred years, maybe a thousand years. And there's a logical explanation for this. Christendom. So that's the one word answer, Christendom. Christendom was when not only the church was Christian, but everything was Christian. It's the kingdom of Christianity, Christendom. Uh, It's the Holy Roman Empire. So not only is the church Christian, but culture is Christian, the police are Christian, the government is Christian, everything's Christian. We're just coming out of Christendom in many ways, the 20th century. And what happened was the church started to perceive that everyone in our town, everyone in our province, everyone in our city, everyone in our country, everyone in the Western world is at least a nominal Christian. What's really going on within people is, well, that's anyone's guess in any era, right? But everyone is at least a nominal Christian. So the role of evangelism doesn't seem all that important, right? The role of apostle doesn't seem that important because why do we need to go out and start new Christian movements? Everyone's a Christian. Or start, you know, understanding Christ in new ways. Everyone's a Christian. This this gift is not necessary. And prophets, all they're doing is really challenging the, the current status quo. We certainly don't need them, right? So the church began to devalue these three gifts. Now this, I'm not not just talking about ancient history here. 100 years ago, 98% of Canadians identified themselves as Christian. 98%. Like this is not ancient history. This, in Canada, until not too long ago, all your neighbors were Christian. Now, some of them smoked, so you wondered, right? And some of them drank, and so, you know, we always wondered about those few people, but at least they said they were Christian. 98%. So when everybody's a Christian, what's the point of evangelism and apostolic ministries? And the prophets, all they're doing is criticizing what we're currently doing, so they need to be quiet. 
So what happened over time, because this was hundreds of years, the church institutionalized the shepherd pastor and the teaching pastor as the official offices of the church. Because the primary focus was maintenance, protection, and pastoral care. There's some logic to it. The interesting thing is the Spirit of God continued to pour out apostolic gifts and prophetic gifts and gifts of evangelism into the church. Well, you can imagine how that went over. The, The result was, well, one thing happened is some of these apostles, evangelists, and prophets would go out and start their own orders. You know, people like St. Francis of Assisi. Their gifting, their calling doesn't fit in the institutional church. They go and they start their own movement. That's, that's an apostle for you. And this happened right up into the, the 20th century. We have the explosion of parachurch organizations. Why do we need parachurch organizations? Well, because people have a focus, they have a gifting, they have an orientation that doesn't fit in the institutional church. And so they go out and start things like MCC or World Vision or Sojourners. Or they go and they start Navigators or Campus Crusade or Youth for Christ. So we've had this divorce in the church of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and the teachers have dominated the Christian institution. Now, those are the, the good stories when the apostles, evangelists, and prophets actually go out and start their own works. What often happened is those apostles, evangelists, and prophets are, are marginalized, they're alienated, even persecuted. And some of them uh, leave the church, and unfortunately, some of them leave the Christian faith. That's just, that's just a part of our history. Some of Some of our presumably greatest spiritual leaders have left not only the church, but the Christian faith. I mean, my sense is the New Age movement is is at least in part a result of of the the church not recognizing people with, with intuitive gifts. Church finds itself in a situation where we're operating on two cylinders. And I think we, I don't think this is a provocative or prophetic statement to say that the institutional church is dying in the West. I think that's an observational comment that you're all like, yeah, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> no one's like, what? The institutional church is dying? Why didn't anyone tell me? No, this is what's happening. And the good news is the church isn't dying. The institutional church is dying. And for people with, with my spiritual wiring, that's good news. Institutional church gives me the creeps. Now you're talking to a guy who doesn't happen to be a shepherd or teacher. Now I'll explain later. Some people are like, wait, but you're teaching us. Eh, We'll talk about that later on. There's many ways to look at the current situation. This week I've been brewing on this a lot, and I came to this realization, this is an incredible time to be the church. I mean, for a thousand years, apostles and prophets and evangelists would be shut down. We are living in, a, in an era where people with 
those different gifts can not only have a role, but are starting to be recognized as having an essential role for the church to survive in the 21st century. I mean, I, has anyone heard of APEST or the fivefold ministry before I started talking about it? Like a few, yeah, a number of people. Like this is something that I'd say over the last 20 to 30 years is, is on the radar of most denominations. Do you know why? Because most denominations are dying, right? And one of the realizations that's happened, and there's a, a number of key teachers on this, uh, an Australian missiologist named Alan Hirsch is one of the primary ones who's written a couple books, um, a little too detailed in my opinion, but um, on this five-fold ministry, I mean, Alan Hirsch would, would claim that the primary reason the church in the West is in decline is because we've neglected the five-fold ministry. And his claim is that the solution, the solution for the church in the West is to embrace the five-fold ministry. I think he might be overplaying his niche a little bit. Um, after all, that, that's what his books are about. So it's, it's <laughs> his invested interest in convincing you that this will save the church, right? Whenever, whenever someone says this, is the key to saving anything, I'm usually a little suspicious. But I think he, he's right in this, that without multiplicity of gifts in the church and in church leadership, the, the church is dead. It's going to die. And it is dying. So the institutional church is done. But the church as a movement is being rekindled. And that's amazing. But the only way that the church can be a movement is with our apostles and our prophets and our evangelists. So this is a very exciting time, especially if you're an apostle, evangelist, or prophet, right? I mean, this is, this is amazing. And, but it's, it's not just amazing for, for those people. It's an amazing time to be the church. The church is going to look very different. I mean, that's again, that's not a prophetic or or revealing statement. It's just the way it is. And thank God that the church will look different. And it won't be one kind of church. There'll be many different kinds of church. There already is, but there's going to be even more varied. And it's going to be a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, but there are going to be challenges for us to really embrace this fivefold ministry. But as I was reflecting and praying and listening this week, I realized that the gifts... And the hope and the excitement and the blessings that are offered far outweigh the challenges. I'm talking about for Avon specifically. In fact, I, I just had this moment of realization this week that we're well on our way on this journey. Like, we're not starting from scratch here. We are, we, we're pretty deep into this journey. Like, I can, I can see the finish line now. And the finish line is a moving target, obviously. We, we, we never get there, but at least I can see where we're going, right? 